We are indebted to her for being the first, and we are indebted to all the people who are being firsts now in 2020. to Behind the Scenery, The Canyon Cuts. I'm Jesse, a park ranger on the North Rim, and we just heard from my colleague, Becca. I'm Becca, park ranger North Rim. Talking about Polly Mead, Grand Canyon's first female park ranger. We recently got our hands on an oral history interview with Polly done by the park's creative media specialist, Mike Quinn, in 1995. Becca and I sat down and had a conversation about what we heard. What do you know about Polly Mead? I know Polly was the first woman ranger at Grand Canyon, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And I know I've seen a picture of her wearing a hat that's shaped like, kind of like an upside down tulip. I get the sense she was a passionate thinker, but that's basically the extent of my knowledge. Okay, yeah. Well, let's, um, I'm just going to play a clip for you um, that'll give us a little background on Polly Mead. Polly studied botany at the University of Chicago, and her first trip to Grand Canyon was part of a trip out west with her botany class. As we were going through the Kaibab forest, my professor said, uh, do you notice how the trees come right down to the edge of the meadow and just stop? I said, that makes an interesting study to see why the tree line just stops suddenly like that at the meadow. I thought, ha ha, that's a subject of my uh, thesis for my master's. So, when I graduated from college, my aunt and benefactor gave me a choice. She said, I, she, I'd like to give you a gift of a trip to Europe or a trip to Grand Canyon to do your research work. I've never been to Europe. So, I tried to cover the whole plateau it took me a long time, mostly on horseback. I had a plant press on my back, and I'd go out and collect specimens. Put a bed at night. I'd put a bedroll on the floor of the forest and sleep there. All I did was a canteen of water and bedroll. So, Polly came from the University of Chicago. She came from a big city. And she came out west and was just like, for her research, just traveling around, camping alone every night on horseback. You've camped alone, right, Becca? Yes, I have. In fact, I think you're working on a podcast about camping alone? Yeah, the working title is Becca Camps Alone. I love it. Um, Tell me about your experiences camping alone. Before I started camping alone, I thought I would feel more confident out there by myself. The first time I camped alone... I spent the first little portion lying in my sleeping bag in my tent planning what I would do upon human attack. Um, But as time has progressed and I've camped alone more, um, I still have that in my mind, but I also have other things in my mind like, oh, I'm happy to be here and and I'm glad I can do this. I think she also experienced some of the same things you talked about too. I was doing my thesis work, I had a little pistol because I thought, what if I'm alone, alone, alone? I might need it if there were a drunkard man or something like that. So 
So one time I was out in my bedroom asleep. I've heard footsteps going around me. I would put my hand up to get that pistol and I went to sleep. And in the morning, there were footprints of a deer all the way around me. At the end of her research, Polly needed to get to the south room to talk to the park geologist about including the geological information of the Kaibab Plateau in her thesis. Now, I didn't know any other way than to just walk across. And I did. Of course, I was 25 then. So I walked out. Nobody knows how Grand Canyon, how big Grand Canyon is, unless they have walked every step of the way. And across the river with stiff and blistered feet, I got up to South Rim. I didn't know that there was a, maybe there wasn't a trail, going the Kaibab Trail going up to the Yaki Point. So I, I don't know Bright Angel, so I had to walk all across the Tonto and go up Bright Angel. Well, I was so tired, I couldn't sleep, but anyway, some kind of person called me in pail of water, and I made it. Shortly after that, Polly got a job at Grand Canyon. So her path was research at Grand Canyon, job at Grand Canyon. Of course, there were, there were barriers to that. I had tried to get a job with the Forest Service, but they wouldn't pay me because I was a woman, period. I, I just wanted to ask you, what, what is your path to getting to Grand Canyon? Sure. Uh, my path to Grand Canyon was not planned in advance. I was working for a nonprofit based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and we hosted a training on the south rim of Grand Canyon. Todd Nelson, the volunteer uh, program coordinator at Grand Canyon, reached out and said, hey, would you like to take this position? I was quite close to saying no. I had written on my planner, say no to Todd, and then I just procrastinated it to the next day and pushed it to the next day and kept not saying no. So after some more reflection on how much of an opportunity that really was, I decided to take that chance and move to the South Rim. And when I first visited the South Rim, I was walking around the Albright Training Center on the South Rim, and I just had this thought, this feeling like, oh, I'm gonna live here someday. And it came true. So I worked a year coordinating and facilitating volunteer experiences based mostly at the South Rim. I fell in love with Grand Canyon. I fell in love with that community. I was not ready to leave after the first year. So in a collage of different jobs, ski instructing nearby, working on a chainsaw crew, teaching preschool in Grand Canyon for about six months. It all led to the North Rim position I hold now, which is the second time I've returned to it. Can you just, um, just describe what it is you do as a park ranger? I see it as my job to provide and facilitate spaces of learning and discovery where folks can create their own meaning and make their own connections with this special place. What that means on a logistical level is giving educational programming. Uh, sometimes that's very tied to a specific tangible topic like geology or the California condor, and sometimes it covers more expansive content like stories of resilience at Grand Canyon or uranium mining or other sticky topics, excuse me, that we want to dive into. 
our roles as interpreters have evolved uh, somewhat over the years, especially in the last five years. I think if you you were a park ranger at Grand Canyon in like 2015, your job description might have sounded almost exactly like like Polly Meads. We lived in little cottages. And I lived with two other women who worked, worked at the office. And I took people on the nature hikes or gave uh, campfire lectures at night. And then my main job was to be stationed out at the Yazapai, where the busloads of people would come, and I would give lectures to a group of people right there at Yavapai. Sounds pretty familiar, right? Sounds familiar and more perhaps deeply rooted in specific content to express. Sure, yeah. Um, and also, we don't really like the word lecture. That's true. The language we use has changed. I'm going to play just a couple other clips for you, and I'm just interested in your reaction. And there are some similarities and differences in her job description, and I want to see if you've noticed similarities or differences in this other, other facet. Okay. One time I was giving a lecture on them. Oh, it was such a good one on the rim of the canyon, getting everybody so interested in the canyon. Now, how old those oldest rocks in the bottom were, and how many years it took to carve the canyon. 200 million or whatever it was. And I asked if there were any questions. One man put up his hand and said, yes, how old are you? I wasn't there at that time. Yeah, that's a familiar dynamic. So I'm aware that like my response today might not be my response in a year. But honestly, when I hear that, I'm like, yeah, Polly. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just obnoxious and a little undermining and a little patronizing. And those adjectives of especially experiencing patronizing moments from visitors is familiar to me. That being said, I assume most visitors mean very well. It wasn't just comments from visitors that Polly had to deal with. Not all of her co-workers were happy to be working with a woman. So I was very proud of that job. And some of the uh, men ranged naturals were resented the fact that I was a woman mm -hmm. and had the same position they did and made it a little bit difficult. When I say give me a hard time, it was just, a, just an attitude that I felt. That's, wasn't important, I thought. Yeah, so when I first came to Grand Canyon in 2017, realities of sexual harassment at Grand Canyon were very much on the surface of, in my view, most folks and most work groups' consciousness. And I was very excited about that. Um, I think part of that stemmed from ignorance because I didn't fully understand at the time the depth and trauma of being so isolated in a backcountry setting and experiencing sexual harassment, not just in an office, but when like the person who is victimizing you is like also your tether to 
survival. But anyway, the reason I was excited that sexual harassment was on the forefront of Grand Canyon consciousness was because I felt like, yeah, sexual harassment exists everywhere. And the fact that Grand Canyon is thinking about this, to me, is a step in the right direction. Perhaps some male colleagues weren't sure how to act and they were navigating their own fear around that. To me, that's like, great, you're growing. Growing's uncomfortable. And also it's helping the whole community be a healthier and safer place in terms of like reflecting on my own experiences around like gendered dynamics in the park service. I find I definitely benefit from having women leadership and women around me and not being the first. Um, and I also feel more challenging gender dynamics in general from my interactions with visitors for sure. Polly may have been alone as the only woman ranger at Grand Canyon, but she wasn't the only woman ranger in the park service. I can't say it was the first woman ranger, ranger naturalist, because Herma Bagley was the first at Yellowstone. When there was a superintendent's conference at uh, the Great Smokies, she was there, and she and I would go out into the out into the woods and just talk about plants all the time. She was a wonderful person and a wonderful person. Polly, Polly's only female counterpart in the Park Service worked at Yellowstone National Park. She had to go to the superintendent's conference at the Great Smokies to to have an interaction face to face with her. Um, how, how does that similar or different from your experience? Super different from my experience. I am surrounded by powerful women in the Park Service and specifically at Grand Canyon. The women around me, both in my work group and beyond, have shown me in some ways that more is possible for me. So for example, I never considered law enforcement before I got to Grand Canyon. And though I don't think it's the career path I'll choose, when I arrived in Grand Canyon and discovered a whole number of women who were doing incredibly competent, thoughtful, important work um, in the front and back country, that opened up a whole sphere of possibility for me just in how I conceptualized that work. Um, I don't need to look far for... Um, allies here of all genders, and I don't need to look far for um, women doing incredible things that I admire and collaborate with. So that is a huge change for sure. I think like without seeing yourself in that position, it would have been challenging to know that that's something that is an option. Yeah. I agree. I think this ties into so many current and continuing conversations about why representation matters. It matters to see people who you see yourself in, in positions of leadership, and just in positions of diverse jobs across so many spheres. It super matters. Well, the, the last clip I want to play for you is, is uh, well, I'll just play it. Okay. I got my job in 1930. And I was so interested in I love my job, and I sort of thought I would go on with it. But my husband said he didn't want his wife working. 
So I said, yes, dear. That's the way we did in those days. What a loss, not only for Polly personally, but for the Park Service and for Grand Canyon. And I also just, when I hear that, I just think of all the people just like Polly. Like, yes, Polly was the first here and alone in terms of her gender identity, perhaps in her work group. But I think of so many people who past and, and perhaps present have had a similar experience where it's like, that's what you did in those days, or that's what you do now, or that's the role of a wife or a mother or, or a person of this gender or a person of this racial identity. Like the boxing in is a real tragedy, I think, for the individual and for the collective. Yeah, to me, this is, this is so heartbreaking, especially after you know, knowing how hard she worked to to get to that place, getting her undergrad in botany, doing her master's research on the North Rim of Grand Canyon, being denied by the Forest Service because she was a woman, and then finally becoming the first woman at Grand Canyon to do this job and to love it and to do it well for a year and a half, and then to be told by the person she loves that she, he doesn't want her doing that job anymore. I can't imagine what she must have felt in that moment. So at the end of that clip, she just sort of laughs it off, saying that's the way it was in those days. And, and I wonder if that's what she would say today. I wonder that too. I'm mostly just thankful for Polly for, for doing what she did and being the first woman at Grand Canyon and being a pioneer in that way. Um, I'm thankful that we have this audio recording of her. Thanks, Mike Quinn, for doing this oral history. Like, it's incredible to be able to hear her voice. I share your sense of gratitude for Polly. I really do. And I feel like there's so many different ways to frame what we know of her story, or at least what I know of her story. We can frame it as a triumph. We can frame it as a triumph and then temporary assertion of the patriarchy. However we choose to frame it, I think the fact remains that this seems like an incredible scholar and human being, and that's something to celebrate. This episode of The Canyon Cuts is brought to you by the interpretation team at Grand Canyon National Park. We gratefully acknowledge the Native peoples on whose ancestral homelands we gather, as well as the diverse and vibrant Native communities who make their home here today. Holly, what do you think of the park rangers working at Grand Canyon today? Bunch of cowboys, rough men, but they were very, very shy. I wanted to chat, you know, talk to them a little bit. They wouldn't talk. Mm -hmm.